Erin Patton with the Becker's Dental Plus DSO podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Chad Carpenter, CEO of West Dakota Dental Partners. Dr. Carpenter, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Absolutely. Um, my name is, like you said, uh, Chad Carpenter, and I practice dentistry in Rapid City, South Dakota. I have been here I'm in my 18th year of practice. I grew up in rural Nebraska in two different towns, one of 700 people called Juanita and another town of about 4,000 people called Fairbury. And then I went to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln for undergraduate and also dental school. So I worked, uh, put myself through college as a cook and I worked in a bike shop for eight years and a bicycle shop weighted tables and finally graduated in 2005 and then I moved to Rapid City bought a private practice from a retiring dentist and my wife and I have been here ever since we live in a we live out in the forest in the Black Hills and we have uh, two dogs a cat three fish <laughs> three frogs three snails and six children all in school so that's me. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that introduction. My first question. Oh, you're welcome. What issues are you spending most of your time on today? So the biggest thing I'm trying to figure out is what's the best use of my time? What should I be focused on? You spend all this time in college, working on your degree, and so it's very clear to you what the goal is. It's uh, trying to graduate, get that doctorate, and then you go into private practice and obviously you want to become a good dentist. And so I started growing my clinical skills. I took lots of CE. Um, I did all of the Mission Institute. I've done all the workshops at Spear. Actually, I heard they just launched a new workshop that I haven't done, but until that one, I've done all of them. And so I've been, I've gone to Coise, Dawson. Um, my friend and I, Dr. Joe Kiefer, we read Pete Dawson's textbook when it came out in 2007 to try to get our understanding of TMJ, temporomandibular disorders, occlusion down. And so I've really put a lot of effort into my clinical skills. And it was obvious to me that that's what I should be working on. So that was the mountain I was trying to climb. And well, learning how to communicate with my team members better and my patients better and learning emotional intelligence, how to read people and understand if the, what I was saying to them was having the effect that I, that I wanted. So I, I built a, a building in 2009. That was the first building that I built. And so I learned about kind of the construction and that was all part of, you know, growing my dental practice, which was, uh, which was what I was spending my time on at the time. And so having done all that, now I've got the education, I've got some communication and emotional intelligence. I've got a beautiful little building. I've got the team. My hourly production started, you know, climbing and I was doing a lot of implants, full arch, all on X, full mouth rehabs, as well as just taking care of the people in my community doing, you know, composites, occlusal fillings and, and hygiene checks. Um, I was just kind of 
uh, chasing what was next with technology, whether that was CEREC, having a 3D printer, having an in-house lab technician with ExoCAD and all that type of stuff. So I was, you know, developing mastery over the big cases. And, and so that kind of takes us to today. It's like, you know, how far can you go as a dentist uh, with, with your own skills and what your hourly is? I know there's dentists that produce a lot more than me, but I feel like I've, I've kind of reached as high as I want to go on that mountain. And so your question, you know, what, what issues am I spending most of my time today on? It's really deciding which mountain to climb next. And so I have acquired four practices over the past 18 years. I've done three de novos. And so after all the dust has settled on those, we have two GP clinics, one pediatric clinic, and a surgical center. And so I had the pleasure of attending the Becker's ASC conference a couple of weeks ago in Chicago, which also had the first dental conference. You were there, correct? Yes, I was. Yeah. So I enjoyed that very much. And um, the surgical center that we have supports our pediatric dental clinic. So as I'm sure most of your listeners know, in the pediatric dental world, there's a bunch of little kids that come in that have really bad teeth and they're not going to sit there and let the dentist fix them. And so you have to take them to the operating room and put them under general anesthesia and then fix all their teeth. And then you wake them up. And that's one thing that a pediatric dentist does. And we were unable to get the block time that we needed to at the hospital here and also the surgical hospital. I uh, was unable to give us as much as we needed, which we understand. I mean, it's it's competitive for the OR space. And the way that they get paid for their facility fee is there's a multiplier off of some Medicare rate that they get. So for some cardiac procedures, it's like 22x this multiplier. And so the facility gets paid really good if they do a heart procedure or really good if they do an orthopedic procedure. But for dental procedures, even though it's the same nurse, it's the same gas that they're using, the same propofol, for dental procedures, the multiplier is only like 1.6 or maybe 1.8. And so the facilities just don't make very much money when they see the dentist walking down the hall. So, you know, it's a business game, and I understand that. So we're thankful for the time that we uh, are able to get from our hospital partners here in town, but it's just not enough. And so we opened up our own surgery center. But, it, you know, it isn't a accredited ASC. It's just a, an office-based surgical center. So we can't get paid for the facility. So that's what I'm looking at is the feasibility of starting a real ASC from scratch as a non-doctor, you know, as a non, oh, I'm a doctor, I'm a dentist, but I'm not a real doctor. I shouldn't say that, but I'm not an MD. And so, we, you know, as a dentist going to MDs, trying to put this group together, it kind of raises some eyebrows. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that I've been working on is, you know, should we start an ASC? That's a big, that's a big deal. It's a, a lot of land and real estate that you have to buy. And then, um, you know, developing the uh, team for that and trying to recruit physician partners to come in and, you know, uh, possibly working with uh, the local hospital if they want to partner with me, which has its own perils because, 
you know, hospitals or the people that work at hospitals typically don't own them. It's just, they work there. And so, you know, your buddy today that you're making these deals with, he's moving on tomorrow. And now there's some out of state guy moving in that may not see, you know, the business relationship the same way. So, you know, learning to deal with that risk. Um, so I've been spending time on that and we're looking at a, you know, growing our uh, footprint from how many locations we have um, so we can better serve our community. We've had uh, Amendment D passed in South Dakota last week. Uh, the election was last Tuesday. And so that means that um, tens of thousands of people are going to be going on to Medicaid. So um, a lot of states around the country expanded Medicaid when when that was uh, a thing and south dakota did not do that it's very conservative here um, we have a balanced budget so there's no state debt we however much money we take in on taxes we don't spend more than that on our budget um, that's kind of been a tenant of our state and so um, i was a little surprised when the voters of south dakota voted to expand medicaid so that is going to be a deluge of children on Medicaid now, kind of in that middle, that middle gap between like, okay, they're maybe above the poverty line, um, but their parents didn't maybe make enough to be able to take them to the dentist or for dental insurance. And so um, I think the income is going to be between 12,000 and 38,000. The household income had to be, I believe, beneath $12,000 annual. Um, in South Dakota to qualify for Medicaid, and now it's like under 38,000. So that's going to be a lot of additional people coming on to Medicaid. And so, you know, trying to uh, build a um, health system, a little dental health system that can absorb those patients coming in. Our Air Force base is expanding here. We're getting a B-21 bombers are going to be showing up. Um, Ellsworth Air Force Base is the first place in the country where those are going to be coming. So we're getting um, all the um, design teams going to be here. The engineers are going to be here. The training team's going to be here. And so it's going to be a lot of airmen and women uh, moving in with their families. And so, um, you know, TRICARE isn't um, one of the uh, better payors as far as insurance companies go, but we're trying to create a model to where we can support our military and still make it work uh, from an overhead standpoint for us. So, that's another thing that we've been, my team has been working really hard on is um, how can we partner with uh, United Concordia to uh, create a, a, an environment where we can support the, the United States Air Force, so. Those sound like a lot of really great developments that you're working on, especially with um, what you were saying earlier about um, bringing dental uh, into the ASC space. Moving to my, my next question, building off of that, how are you thinking about investments and in growth in the next two years? Well, what I'm thinking about is real estate. Do I invest in real estate or do I not invest in real estate? And I was talking with, some, uh, with my finance team actually this morning about that very thing. Um, one of my colleagues, Brian, said, well, why, why wouldn't you buy the, uh, the building instead of just building it out? And, well, I told him because that takes a lot of cash. It takes a lot of cash, and that cash is going to be tied up for a lot of years. You know, and you look at what's happening with the consolidation of dental practices, and you look at, you know, whether it's private equity or 
just bringing in partners, when you start a de novo clinic and you go from $0 in revenue to say a million dollars in revenue with a 20% EBITDA, presumably at some point you're going to have to exit that and there's going to be someone that's going to pay you some multiple on that. Um, if you put all of your resources into growing those locations versus you know buying up strip malls or whatever, um, it's a lot easier to you know exit the business than it is maybe to sell a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of clinics. Now I know that there's a great reset coming. Um, we heard from some uh, leaders in the DSO space a couple weeks ago in Chicago about what's going to happen with some of these some of these uh, private equity partners that have maybe um, been unscrupulous with their culture and just dumped a bunch of money into acquiring all these locations that maybe don't have the profitability to support those investments that were made. And now we've maybe got a recession looming. And what does that look like? Are we going to see some, some of the pretenders topple while the, um, you know, the DSOs and the DPOs that were built on a solid foundation and bedrock are going to sort of rise to the top and, you know, I'm not in that world. I'm just uh, over here in a sleepy little corner of South Dakota, um, kind of observing and um, serving the people that live here and trying to, you know, be a good community partner and, and support a lot of the, the need here, um, you know, with our philanthropy and stuff too. So my next question for you is, what are you most excited about right now? Access to care, I would say. When I was you know, a, a solo dentist with my two dental assistants, my two hygienists, and my, my two front desk admin team. You know, I worked 32 hours a week on patients at the time. And so the more revenue I could collect in that 32 hours meant I could pay my team more. I could pay my student loans down quicker. I could um, pay off my debt that I had on my practice and my building. And so I was really motivated to, you know, limit the amount of Medicaid that I saw, even though I've always been a Medicaid provider in South Dakota, I've always taken Medicaid cases. I really limited it because I needed to keep my hourly revenue high so that I could pay my team above average and make reinvestments back into the practice for technology and all of that. And that makes sense, right? So you know, you don't get a break on your rent just because you're seeing Medicaid. You're, you know, Patterson's not going to give me a better deal on my supplies because I'm seeing Medicaid. They don't care. And so the general dentist that's all by himself has a motivation to, you know, limit the amount of Medicaid. But once you start growing and you have a whole team that is all producing for you, we have uh, nine dentists and as about as many hygienists on our team now. And so it isn't just about me and my personal, you know, economic picture and my family anymore. It's so much bigger than that. And so I can say, you know, I'm willing to go from a, say, 20% EBITDA down to 15%. And we're going to say that we're going to have a lot more Medicaid patients. And that top line revenue goes way up, even though the, you know, percentage of profit goes down and we're able to say we're we're happy about this because we're serving all these families there's not a ton of people that live 
you know, in South Dakota, the total population of the state's under a million people. But the Black Hills region, if you count the entire Black Hills, depending on where your borders are, has over 200,000 people. And so we're serving four of the um, biggest Native American Indian reservations in um, in our state. And, you know, their Indian health service clinics don't have enough providers to, to see all of them. And so they refer us a lot of cases and, you know, to be able to partner with the tribal communities and provide that very needed care to their kids who have pain and swelling, that means a lot to our group. And so um, access to care uh, and, you know, to answer your question, that's on the forefront of our minds. And it isn't just about, you know, of course, we want to give back and be able to say that, you know, we're, our hearts are in the right place. It has to work from a overhead and business standpoint, too. So um, we've been able to innovate some, um, you know, changes to our delivery uh, care model that allow us to maybe see a little bit higher volume of um, kiddos. Uh, I don't in my opinion, it doesn't take away from their experience or quality at all. Um, you know, easier to do with kids than adults, for sure. Uh, they have short attention spans. You know, if, you're, if your three-year-old's in the chair for longer than 20 minutes, uh, that's not a good thing. So it kind of facilitates and feeds right into a, a volume model. Um, so that's definitely uh, one thing I'm excited about is, uh, is, the, is the access to care. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Carpenter, thank you so much for your wonderful insights and your time today. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you.